Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? Anybody? All right. Glad to have you. Well, I talked to my mother. She told me this story. And you know, if Rosalie tells it, it must be true. She said that um, a little country pastor, Pastor Anderson, had a small congregation, and he wanted them to have a perfect attendance Sunday. So he took it on himself to go to each person's house that came to the church, knock on the door, and ask them to come. And it was a, a wonderful theme. He met people on that Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and they all were kind to say they were come, except for one lady. He went to Mother Cox's house, and he could hear her inside moving around, but she wouldn't come to the door. And he knocked hard on the door and said, Mother Cox, it's, it's Pastor Anderson. And he could hear sounds, but she wouldn't come to the door. He was very frustrated, thinking, well... There goes the perfect attendance Sunday. So he got a little piece of paper and he wrote a scripture on it. And he slipped it under the door and it said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. It was just really irritating. Sunday morning, to his surprise, everyone came, including Mother Cox. She was there. And he was so glad to see her. And she... She had a little verse for her, her own that she pressed into his hand. And when he had a minute, he, he looked at the verse to see what it said. It was Genesis 3. And it said, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> now that's what my mother said. Now if that's what she said, it's true. All right. <laughs> we serve a good Lord, don't we? He's a great God. Oh, boy, that is crazy. My mother is hilarious. So I have got a last, the last lesson, the, four of, the fourth one of the oneness of God. And I am delighted that you're here. I'm delighted you've come back again to hear these. And I pray that God blesses us. I'm, I want to preface this whole lesson by saying in my, my heart, I, I really want to be a blessing to you, and I don't want to be offensive to you. If anything I say seems to be contrary to what you think or what you've been taught, I just invite you to check it out in the Word of God. If I have in any way put my opinion in place of the Word, then that should be able to be shown. And I'm not saying that I, I am um, unable to make an error in human being. God is the one that's true, Right? The most powerful thing you can ever say about someone is that they search the word to see if it is true. That's what the Bible says. So check it out. If, I, if it's wrong or off, I, I'm not trying to be ugly or offensive in any way, and I pray these questions and answers and communication are just a blessing to you and hopefully to others that maybe ask them as well. These four helps for understanding. These four pillars will help us in almost every situation when we hear the, well, what about? Well, what if, or what, if, what happened in this situation, or what, how to explain the oneness of God here. The only duality, that's the first one, the only duality with Jesus Christ is between the spirit and the flesh, and not a distinction of persons in God. The plural in reference to Jesus is the humanity, 
and the deity. All right? That's a pillar. Once we understand that, it helps with so many things. The only plurality with Jesus Christ is between the spirit and the flesh. So every time we have a question, sometimes the, about Jesus Christ, it's very likely the answer can be yes and no. Or even yes and yes. Maybe that's what I intended to say, yes and yes. I guess that the way we can say is, was, was Jesus born of a woman? Did he have a beginning? Or was Jesus from all time? Well, if you're talking about the Spirit, Jesus is God, so yes, he's always been. And if you're talking about the flesh, no, Jesus hasn't always been. He had a beginning. Do you understand? But does Jesus, does Jesus have to pray? Or does he know all things? Well, we're we talking about the flesh or the spirit. You see, we know this. I know we've talked about this before, but it's important to understand every time we have a duality with him, it's not a distinction of persons, but it, it's, it is that between the spirit and the flesh. Number two, Jesus acted and talked like a human in every way that we do, except for sin. At the same time, he was God manifested in the flesh, or the spirit of God was fully in him. Some things he said emphasized one role more than the other. Number three, when we see a plural relation to God, and this is typically in the Old Testament, it is a plurality of roles or relationships to humans and not of persons. God has many roles, right? Father is not the only role he has. He showed himself as multiple times. Every time that Jehovah compound word was revealed, it was another role of God. He is a provider. Yes, he is. He is peace. Yes, he is present. Yes, he is a warring God. These are, what are these? Or, this is part of the personality and part of the roles of God. And lastly, the New Testament writers had no conception or concept of the doctrine of the Trinity, which would not be stated until hundreds of years later. They had a strict monotheistic or one God background. Those passages in the Bible that seem Trinitarian to us were readily understandable to them. Amen? The, the, the amazing thing about it is when you read um, commentary from Trinitarian writers and believers, even back 500 years, and we have some of that, Sometimes the things they say are, we must believe in a trinity or else what the Jews believe and what Muslims believe about God will be true. Well, we believe like they do that there is one God. So when you get, if we're only talking about that, then we do agree that there's one God. The only difference between us and the Jews is we believe we know who that one God is. We're not waiting for him to come, he's come. So that really isn't, we're not far off from there. All right. I'm going to give you a background in Trinitarianism. And I, I just pray, if you have that background in your life, recognize I'm not talking so much about the people that you love or know or heard or your life. I'm talking about the understanding, the definition, communication. That makes a difference. Okay? And remember this. The question always comes down to this one concept. What are you going to do? In everything Jesus asks of us, forget Trinitarianism for a minute. If it's prayer or separated from this world 
are reading your word, every time your flesh begins to point to somebody else and says, well, they don't have to do that, and they're good Christian people, and I know people that don't go to church that often, or I know people that don't do this, or you have friends in this same church that don't believe that. The question always comes back, what Jesus said to Peter. When Peter turned around to John and said, what about him? If I got to die, what about that guy? And Jesus said, if I decide he lives until I come back, what is that to you? Here's the question. Are you going to follow me or not? That's so difficult. Sometimes it rises in our mind is, well, what about my aunt? What about my old pastor? What about grandma that died? These people believe in the Trinity. Put them in God's hands. The question always comes back to, are you going to follow him or not? The question will be asked of you, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do? What was your response? Here's what Jesus said to them. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Oh, I don't want to ever have that said of me. If, I, if He said to them, if I speak the truth to you, why do you not believe me? Oh, So whenever you feel that pressure of others or this or that, realize that your flesh is trying to evade. It's the same thing every Bible study person does when they start talking about, well, what about people in the darkest of Amazon? They've never been baptized in Jesus' name. Or what about Aborigines way out there in the Australian desert? Okay, what are they doing? Trying to avoid? What did the woman do? Jesus is at the well. He's getting invasive. He's getting here in space. Yes, that's true. You don't have a husband. I'm telling you, you've had, what was the Bible said? Five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. What did she do immediately? She did not say, you're talking to me. Yes, I need, I need to hear this. She said, you Jews say you worship in this mountain, but we don't say worship in the mountain. What are you doing? She's trying to move this conversation. This got way too personal. Let's talk about people worshiping in mountains. Isn't that amazing? We, people, we do that, don't we? We need the Lord's help because we all try to evade that. I have been to so many services where the word of God was powerful. And someone after me said, oh, I love that message. It was so powerful. That pastor preached or I preached or someone else ministered by the Terry Brisbane. And I heard them say, oh, I wish my son would have been here. He needs it. Oh, and there's other people I know. They need it too. And what are they really saying? I didn't really need it, but I know other people need it. Because we, have, we avoid that. We start thinking quickly about who can need this besides me. So I don't, I don't have to do anything about it. All right. So defined, Trinitarianism defined is one God in three persons, or some state it like this, three persons in one substance. These are, according to this definition, co-equal in power and authority. They are co-eternal in the past, power and future. And they, in each, have the same divine nature is fully contained. However, each person has a unique characteristic in relation to the others. Now, tritheism is a belief in three gods. Most Trinitarians reject this concept, however. However, they inevitably, inevitably, as they begin to discuss this, begin to separate each role of God, each person, each being, into a similar belief of three gods. That is the trouble with trying to find a separate role for each one. 
even though they, even though Trinitarianism and Trinitarian as a general rule deny tritheism, they're not three God people. And I'm not saying they ever intend to. I'm saying when you begin to try to push God into three distinct roles that he cannot be anything different and co-equal, co-eternal, before you know, you're very closely resembling three separate gods. When you say three separate minds or beings or wills or personalities, many Trinitarians throughout history and in written definitions interpret this doctrine to mean three personalities, three beings, three minds, three wills, or three bodies in the Godhead. Definitely, we find three persons. By definition, they have converted monotheism into a form of polytheism. Now, what's the source of Trinitarianism? The New Catholic Encyclopedia says this. There is no question that Christian Trinitarianism, at least as we know it today, developed over several centuries of time after the New Testament was written. Trinitarian scholar Alexander Hilsup asserts that there are pagan roots of the Trinity and that the Babylonians worship God in three persons and use the same equilateral triangle that you see today in most Trinitarian uh, documentation as a symbol of the Godhead. Wow. Check it out. If you think this is incorrect, do research and find it. It's amazing to see. Historian Will Durant found the Trinity in ancient Egypt. It is found in many other pagan religions, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. And all of these have different descriptions. Don't get me wrong. They're not all Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, most of, most of those, the last three especially, are not. But they have definitely a similarity of three beings or three persons in one Godhead or one supreme ruler. Whether they call them mother or father or son, that is consistent throughout history. The Council of Nicaea in the 300 years plus after Christ was the climax of the great controversy about the Godhead. It was a great clash between those who wanted the Trinity and those who wish to preserve the oneness of God. We'll find that throughout history. You can dig that up in any encyclopedia, Catholic encyclopedia, anywhere you want to go to a source. It doesn't have to be Pentecostalism in any, any way. Now, one belief, one is believers in church history are found almost in every century. It, there's the, there are folks that dedicate their life and their work to finding these one is believers. One, uh, Michael... Cervadius, I believe, was a physician from Spain. He denied the tri-personality of the Godhead, and so stated. He wrote, there is no other person of God but Christ. The entire Godhead of the Father is in him. That sounds like what we believe. That's literally what it is. He called the doctrine of the Trinity, now just bear with me, a three-headed monster. He believed it necessarily led to polytheism and was a delusion from the devil. He also believed that because the church accepted Trinitarianism, God allowed it to come under the rule of the papacy or the popes, of course, the Catholic church. And so to lose Christ, 
he could not understand why the Protestants, and you are generally part of the Protestants, if you're not Catholic or Jewish, would come out of Catholicism, but still insist upon retaining the non-biblical and man-made doctrine of the Trinity. For all these beliefs and all these writings, he was burned to the stake for his beliefs with the approval of John Calvin, although John Calvin said he probably should be beheaded and not burnt. I'm telling you, you have to understand that people have fought throughout history for the freedom to have the oneness of God. They have laid down their life to say there is no such thing. That The only thing we know is that there is a one God. And the only person you ever see is Jesus Christ. Those are fighting words in history. Now, the Catholic Church, and per their website, per their documentation, per their stated uh, interest over decades that I could find in research, is stated to be the mother of all other churches, for they came from her. You'll find that in Wikipedia, you'll find that in Catholicism, anything that talks about them. That is their commentary. We are the mother of all other churches. Those churches came from us. They believe that the church is our mother. She is, and I quote, the Holy Mother Church that is generated through our baptism. What baptism are they talking about? I'll tell you right now. What baptism did they say that is a mark of their church and their motherhood? The baptism of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, no matter how it's administered. That's what they state. Catholic leaders have long stated they believe all denominations, and they call them our daughters, all of our daughters will eventually come back to us. That's what they say. Eventually they believe in that one great day, all of their daughters, all the daughters, all the denominations, every kind of denomination, every kind of believer will come back to them. These listed denominations all share one major belief with the Catholic Church. They don't share belief about about praying to Mary. Nope, that's not it. They don't share belief about the Pope. Nope. They don't share belief uh, necessarily about the transfiguration or about uh, when you eat the, the bread, that it actually turns into the flesh of Jesus. They don't share belief about repenting and talking to a priest. Nope. They share this one, the doctrine of the Trinity. It's found in all various forms of baptism. Wow. It's a powerful thing. And that is, that's not opinion. That's quoting them, Right? Now, there are only, I looked carefully, there are only two mothers I could find that are clearly defined in the Bible. The Bible calls Jerusalem, which is above, the mother of us all, Galatians 4.26, but Jerusalem, which is free, I'm sorry, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all, Jerusalem. Now, we're not talking about necessarily the physical buildings, the stones, the streets, the location. There is a spiritual Jerusalem. And when you think about that, we know what happened in spiritual Jerusalem. That was the day of Pentecost being poured out. 
People being baptized in Jesus' name. There is a mother of us all. But there's also another significant mother that can be found, and it's in found in Revelation. Hear what the Bible says. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Those colors mean things. Check it out. You'll find out what that means. And decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Just had a son go to Rome. Said, Dad, you can't imagine how on the tours of the Vatican, the rooms that are filled, filled with ornate golden objects and crosses and and jewels and and every kind of thing and robes and uh, rooms you just go through you can't touch anything but you see it after a while it's like okay there's another room with some more gold and more jewels and more diamonds and more rubies on there's another room that has some more of that it's just literally packed full mm. having a golden cup in her hand full of abomination and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. In no way am I presenting that Catholic people are this, is this woman. Many of them have a love for God. My entire family, my mother and all, all of the grandparents all came out of that and had a love for God, a hunger for God. But understand, that religion as a whole, in total, in concept, from all the time, fits right there. Yes, it does. Everything eventually leads to two roads. Brother Terry was giving me this little commentary, and it, it is very true. Everything leads to two roads, either to Rome or Jerusalem. It eventually leads to one or the other. And I don't want to be on the road to Rome. I don't want to be there. I want to be on the road to Jerusalem. Amen? Jeff Kochfar asked me this after Wednesday night. I thought it was very interesting. I loved it. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Now, if you wrote in that little box right there and you put in, Anything. Put in the Father. Put in the Son. Put in the Holy Ghost. Let's find out which one's right. Ready? Okay. The Father, well, Romans 6 and 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Whom God, somebody say God, God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. I think most people would say the answer to that question is pretty easy. It was the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. But wait a minute. What about John chapter 2, verse 19? It looks like the answer to this could be the Son. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But are we done yet? I don't think so. Romans 8 and 11 says... But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit 
that dwelleth in you. So the Holy Ghost raised Jesus from the dead. Well, now we're really either confused or we understand there's really just one God. There's just really one Spirit. Mm. Now, I think a, a stumbling block for many Pentecostals and many folks who uh, struggle with Trinitarianism or even have conversations, it usually comes down to Matthew 28, 19. That's like the circle. Womp, let's go right there. So what does the verse say? Go ye therefore. Let's, let's do this. Let's all read together, okay? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This verse does not teach that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are three separate persons, but these that these titles identify and refer to one name and therefore one being. They're titles that refer to one name and one being. Titles are simply a, a concept of what God can do or his modes or how God is emphasized in history. When you think about that, all this can apply those to our life. We have titles of things we do. Some of you are manager, and some of you are a salesperson. Some of you maybe um, are boss, or maybe you're employee. Some of you are father and sons, maybe you're mothers and daughters. We have lots of titles that doesn't tell you who you are. I'd like to know your name. If you start to introduce yourself by titles, I'd be very confused. I know I've, I've done that incorrectly before um, and gotten people confused, and I had to later straighten them out. I had a guy call me Greg for a while, and I, I didn't know what I did wrong. I put my name tag on my, um, on my shirt. We were at some conference, and he called me Greg, and I said, no, my name's not Greg. And he said, what's your name tag? Say? I was, oh, I said, I'm sorry. It says Great Scott. Looked like Greg, but anyway, so that's kind of a joke. But I, I like to be called Great Scott. It's fun. I'm not sure why. If it's Great Scott. Some of you haven't smiled on that. I hope that you'll eventually, the Lord will move on you. This verse gives us titles, okay? So let's look and see if the same concept of a singular name or a singular item can be found. Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. The same exact concept. We have one singular name. We have one singular seed. Paul, in the same way, emphasized the singular seed. This passage simply describes the name, that's Matthew 20 and 18, the one name of the one God. Jesus literally means Jehovah Savior. To speak that name, and people do it all the time, and sing it, and talk about it, don't, they don't sometimes realize they're saying out of their mouth, Jehovah Savior. Now, I have not put this in your notes, but I think it's important. You may want to write this somewhere. It's called subordination. So you think of the word insubordination. Take the I-N off and you got the rest. Subordination. Insubordination is when... Um, an employer tells an employee something and they refuse to do it. Or when all the, 
when all the guys on the boat want to throw the captain overboard. I guess, something like that. Now, subordination is a different concept. It's the concept that we have a father in the Godhead, and we have a son that does the father's bidding. That's equal, but listens to the father. The father directs him. As those who attempt to describe the Trinity begin to talk, without fail, they will fall into this subordination. That one being is subordinated to another being. Do you understand? That is a problem. Because then we have a God and a demigod, or maybe a God and a junior God. Jehovah's Witness struggled with this for years, and they found a way to do this. They simply deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They'll take that out. He had to listen and do because he was subordinate, you see? He had to do what God said. He was second or lower. Most of the time, when they list those, those roles in the Trinity, they'll talk about Father, Son, and the last one is the Holy Ghost. But Jesus said, I am the first and the last. Subordination is a concept of, I've got three, but who's in charge? I got three, but who tells the direction and who listens? I got three, but who sits on the one throne? Every time you grapple with that, you're going to come to one of two conclusions. Either the typical thing they say is, well, I don't know, it's just a, it's a mystery. The Bible says it's a mystery. We just can't, can't understand it, which is a pretty easy cop-out. Or they begin to subordinate one to the other. Jesus had to listen to God because God's the Father. That's not what the Bible says, right? Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Okay, very important. That, that word is a powerful word. When you begin to, you can pick it out in some writings. You begin to see it. People are trying to explain the Trinity or support the Trinity. Very often, they'll fall into the subordination. They'll fall there because what are you going to do? How can you have, before you if, you, if you don't do that, then you have them all in one, which is what we're saying. They're all in one. All right. This one name, this one name. Remember, go back to Matthew 20 and 19. Don't forget it. Baptizing them in the singular name, right? This one name was prophesied. Here's Zechariah, hundreds of years before Christ. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, someone start with me. Read in that day, ready? In that day, keep reading. Shall there be one Lord and his name one. Read the next one. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. There's a one name prophesied. There'll be a one name. You're going to find a one name. The Bible says later on uh, in the epistles, it says that the prophets old wondered at that name. They wanted to know. They would like to have looked into it. They liked to have heard. All they knew is that one day there's going to be a name, and you're all going to know that name. Mm. The New, church, New Testament church did not apparently have a problem with this. Because every time they baptized someone, they did it in the name of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Matthew, who wrote the thing we just read, was standing there with Peter on the day of Pentecost and could have and should have corrected Peter and said, wait, hold Peter. Wait, don't, don't say 
baptized in the name of Jesus. That's not what I wrote. You need to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's stop this. We need to have a discussion. They had plenty of times they had arguments and, and conversations and even whole meetings of people to talk about what we're going to do with new things or how we're going to handle this. But no one had a problem with that. Why is that? Because they understood that's God's titles. That's God's modes. That's how God has emphasized his connection with humanity. All right. Compare this verse in Matthew 28, 19 to see and compare these verses to see that the name of God is Jesus. Revelation 14, 1 says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. Mm. What's Revelation 22 say? And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. How can we see God's face? Remember lesson one? God doesn't have a face. God doesn't have a shape. God doesn't have a body. God doesn't have a voice. God's not male. God's not female. Remember that part? Very clearly we understand it. We understand that if there is a face, it's the face of Jesus Christ. And if there's a name, it's not their name. It's not a compound name. It's not a grouping name. It's his name. All right. Exciting stuff. First John chapter 5, verse 7. First John 5 and 7. This is the next place that folks go to and say, what about this verse? Now what you're going to say? Let's see what it says. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. This verse emphatically and clearly states that these three are one. Some interpret it to mean unity, like between a husband and a wife. But that is essentially polytheistic. Or multiple gods that all agree and work together. That's not what the verse says. The verse doesn't say that. It says, there are three that bear record in heaven... The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, if I say to you, I give you my word, I'm going to be there. I give my word, I'm going to pay that back, or I'll, I'll see you, I'll do this thing, whatever that is. A man, folks say throughout history, is only as good as his word, right? Word's powerful, whether you keep your word or not. I'll be there, I'll do this, etc. So, if I tell you, hey, that's my word, I'm going to do this, you understand that there's no cutting away Scott from his word. I can't slice those and say, well, that's Scott's word and this is Scott. Well, I'm not my word. My word did something else without me. It wasn't me. <laughs> that, sounds like a, that sounds like Nico saying, you know, it's not your fault. You drew on the couch. When he was younger, he drew sing songs to himself about his misdeeds, his evil things he did in the house, and forgave himself. It's not your fault. You colored on mom's wall. It's not your fault. You broke the mirror. Well, wait a minute. Nico, you are yourself. You can't, you can't excuse yourself and sing songs to yourself about how you shouldn't be in trouble because you did bad things. And in the same way, I can't separate my word and say, well, hey, I'm, yeah, I know my word said that I would be there. But I, I didn't agree with my word. We're different. <laughs> you can't say, and neither can I separate myself from my spirit. 
and say, well, you know, and I do this, I do say this sometimes and I shouldn't. Um, you're going to be there tomorrow at the event? And I say, well, I'll be there in spirit, brother. And that's not really true. I can't be there in spirit. I don't have that power. You know, I, you know yeah, I'll be there. I'll, I'm going to be in the prayer meeting. I'll be, there, I'll, be, I'll be there in spirit. I'll be with you. No, you won't. You're at the ball game. You're not there in spirit. Come on, stop lying. I can't separate those, right? So how in the world can I separate those in this verse? My word is my bond. The verse is not your son, but word. And a man cannot be separated from his own word. Word defined, by the way, is thought, plan, mind of God, and expression of God. We'll find those, those explanations in the Bible. The Holy Ghost is also not a distinct person from the Father, any more than a man and his spirit are distinct persons. The Holy Spirit describes what God is. This verse could be restated. We could restate this verse right now to say it like this. God has recorded himself in at least three modes of activity or has revealed himself in at least those three ways. He has at least those three heavenly roles. Father, Word, not Son, and Holy Ghost. These three roles describe one God. These three are one. There's a long discussion about this verse, why it's in King James Version, not other versions, and we can get into all that, but we're just going to trust the Lord and let that verse be there because that's the only verse in the Bible that I refers to God with a number three. There is no other number three in God in the Bible at all. Can't find it. All right. This topic we've been talking about for the past three weeks, and this week, the fourth week, is one that can be understood. The Godhead is not a mystery to us. The Godhead is not a mystery to us. Let's read together. Read Romans chapter 1, verse 20 with me. Ready? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Wow. They're without excuse. Think about that. No one will ever point their finger in the face of our Lord and say, hey, you know, I didn't I understand it. I didn't get it. I, I, you know, it was a mystery to me. The Bible says without excuse. And it's amazing to me that God has left his imprint on the world around us, and sometimes people are so blind to it. Literally, his imprint is in this world. It's, it's, it's very much like the, like the disciples trying to find out why Jesus made up stories all the time. Why do you make up stories and tell people stories? Just tell them the truth. We call them parables. Some people have forgotten that Jesus made up stories. I make up stories all the time, so I'm more like Jesus than you if you don't make up stories. There. Jesus made up, he did, all the time. There was no man that fell among thieves, and the priest passed him by, and all. No, that didn't happen. That was a parable. Jesus made that up. There's no guy throwing seed out there, and the birds are coming, and all. No, Jesus made that up. Of course, I guess it could have happened, but it didn't. It was called a parable. Why, Jesus, are you telling so many parables, they said. Why don't you just come out and just see it? Jesus said, in a sense, he said, 
those who are hungry to know, want to understand, they'll find it. And those who don't want to know, they won't even understand it. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, but they don't, they don't see and they don't hear. I just, it, my heart, I can't imagine the concept of being in the same room or on the same hillside with Jesus Christ and looking and seeing these people right here are getting it. And those right there are right next to him and are not getting it. And matter of fact, getting angry with him. How is that possible? How is that possible? Because it is our heart. We can be in the same universe and see the stars and say, oh God, you're so awesome, so mighty. And others see the stars and say, look at that. There's proof that there's no God. I don't know how that can happen, but it has more to do with your heart than the stars, right? Amen. Colossians 2 and 9, for in him, or in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And 1 Timothy 3, 16, and without controversy, say without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Hold on, God was preached? Yes, that's Jesus. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. God was received up? Yes, that's Jesus. Here's a question for you. What does God not know? Most of you put nothing. God knows everything. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. What's it say? Isaiah 44, verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. I'll tell you what God does not know. He does not know another God. God does not know another God. In any point. Not a co-equal. Not a co-eternal. Not someone that's a buddy. Not a unity. Not a husband and wife. God is known another God. What's the one thing God cannot do? He can do all, everybody says all the time, God can do anything. And that's basically true. God can heal anyone. Yes, he can. Save, he can do that. Deliver, almost anything you can imagine. But there is one thing the Bible says God cannot do. Titus 1 and 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Oh, what security and stability there is in a God that cannot lie. What a solid rock is our God that cannot lie. If he spoke it out of his mouth, it will happen. Even if we don't think it will happen or it hasn't happened yet or happened in our time or happened the way we like it, it will happen. Wow. Question a lot of folks ask is, where was God the Father when Jesus was on earth? And there's many questions that, that go in the same pattern. Who was Jesus praying to in the garden? Who was Jesus praying to on the cross? Um, if Jesus is God, there's a, there's a concept that, that's incorrect that by oneness we are denying that there is a Father or that in a sense the Father is missing action and now all in Jesus. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is omnipresent. He's in every place, everywhere, at the same time. God fills all space and time. Right? We know that. That's back, back in the verses we talked about in Psalm. But where can I go from thy presence? I can't get anywhere where God's not there. 
So understand this part, John 14 and 10. Jesus says, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not on myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So the same Father in Jesus was the same Father that filled all space and time, right? Why would Jesus pray then if he has a Father in him? Because Jesus was all flesh and all God at the same time, right? All human and spirit. Second Corinthians 5.19, to wit, or to understand, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There's a power in the word of God. There's an understanding in the word of God. Now, I, I want you to grab this last little piece and, and really, really get the hold of it. it we, people I talk to um, and talk about Trinity, um, sometimes when they describe what they believe, it sounds a lot more like oneness. Than Trinity. You ever had that happen? It's like, well, I believe that there's one God and his name is Jesus. Okay, that. So the question is, is it more than just words? I mean, does it matter what we say or not say or do? Well, it, here's how it begins to matter. It matters first in the confusion of who do I pray to and who do I address? Well known uh, man, a wonderful man who has a fantastic church and has incredible consistent prayer talked about the importance in his board meetings of addressing and praying to the Holy Ghost. See, when it felt like they was leaving out the Holy Ghost, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you don't have to say, I, we feel like we left you out, Holy Ghost, when we're praying to God or using the name of Jesus. He's not out here saying, you know what, I'm about sick and tired of this. I'm, people are leaving me out, no one talks to me. No one says my, and that, but you, that's crazy, but that's literally a commentary, a concern. And then there is a, there's another, there's other parts of this. That subordination part is very important. If we don't hold on to that concept that the Bible teaches of oneness, we very quickly begin to subordinate Jesus to God. We begin to really put him in a second place. He's the son. Then we hear, we hear messages talking about how God and Jesus were up there talking about earth. This is a common thing that's preached in many denominational churches. They talked about the, the problems in earth and how God said, I want you to go, you're my son. I want you to go and die for those people. And Jesus came and died for them. Now that, that's not in the Bible. That concept's not there, but that happens because we, we, we grapple with these pieces. And then I think a part that really impacts me is the mark the mark on our life by saying, I identify with that Jerusalem church. I identify as a one God believer. I identify. And then the mark that says, I, no matter what I say, or how far I've come away from it, I'm identifying with the Rome, the Catholic church, because I believe in the Trinity and I still hold their baptism. Do you understand? That matters. I, I, I have read... A documentation. I've read a, a transcript of some of our our preachers and and some missionaries traveling to Israel, like some of our churches right now, and attempting to buy some things. They buy um, 
the scriptures that are rolled up and put in different tassels. And at the time, the gentleman selling it said, no, I'm not selling it to you because you believe in the Trinity. And they explained, no, we don't believe in the Trinity. We're one of the few that, we're one of those groups that don't. We believe that there's a one God just like you do. And he was excited and sold in the things because you see, that is a mark of identification. That's a mark on your life and my life. There's something about it. And I, I am surprised, always surprised, when I do research and find online conversations and, and teachings, how much animus and anger and frustration there is. Those who are the, especially the teachers and the leaders of Trinitarianism in general, toward those of us that don't believe that same doctrine. Now, the people in the churches in general are not that way. But I'm talking about those who are teachers in their schools, those who write articles, those who are, in a sense, the leading of their, of their faith, do not like people and are very upset with those who deny the Trinity. That's a mark of separation and heresy is the word I've heard. That's correct. So I want you to understand it's more than just a difference of words. It does have an effect upon our life. I'm always so encouraged every time I read that verse again. There's Stephen being stoned to death after giving a beautiful message. And the Bible says he called upon God, crying out, Jesus, receive my spirit. I, I can call on God right now by saying, Jesus. I can call on God. I can allow the Holy Ghost to move by simply saying, Jesus. How powerful that is. What a, what a relief that is. How incredible it is. My dad told me, he said, I struggled for years in the church, the nominal church I was at. I always struggled and I fr- was frustrated whenever they started talking about Jesus going and dying for his father. And I thought, he said, he made me mad at God. I thought, why don't you go die yourself? You care so much. He, he said that. That was his thing. He led the song service. He said, it was just, I, I love the church. He said, they're good people, but I just got so frustrated thinking, why don't you go die yourself? Why did you send someone else to die? He said, when I got the revelation, I thought, oh, I understand. He did. He did. He did die himself. This, this revelation has produced a powerful effect in lives. It's produced a powerful effect in your life, in my life, and in my family. It got a hold of Uncle Joe. My, I call him Uncle Joe. His great Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe Farino. There's a Joseph Farino in St. Louis, and it's his, um, it's his father. Oh my goodness, he got to be so, so moved by this simple understanding of the oneness of God that he would go and park his car outside the Catholic Church when Mass was over. He would get on top of his car and he would start preaching at him. And yelling and telling about the, about, you know, great Babylon and the mystery religions. And he was not well received. It was not, it was not, it was not, it may not have been wisdom, but he was aggressive and he was talking about one God. And he was, boy, oh, what a, what a fire. It was such a fire that my grandfather said, you can come to the house. Actually, for one year, he was kicked out of the house. He wasn't able to come to the house. But after that, he can come to the house. But long as he left his Bible in the car. Because he carried his Bible like a weapon and, and literally like this, you know, the people. Uh, a strong belief in the oneness of God and the absolute deity of Jesus Christ is a crucial element in restoring biblical belief and apostolic power. 
power. I, I, I don't want to miss that. Do you? I don't want to give that up to fit into something. And I, I'm telling you right now, we're in a church and in a time, thank God, where we are not persecuted for this belief. We're not even, we're not even on the fringes for this belief. But the Bible says that you'll be hated of all nations and doesn't say for his title's sake. It says for his name's sake. There is something about that name of Jesus that matters. Carefully understand, I am not denying Father. I am not denying the Holy Ghost. I'm not denying God's, how God has emphasized his roles to humanity. No way are we, they sometimes people say Jesus only or, or some of, of a, not just Trinitarianism, bi- binaryism. We don't believe that either. We, we firmly believe that God of all creation is expressed as a father, as a son, as the Holy Ghost. He doesn't stop any of those things. Amen. Amen. I feel like the Lord's in this place. I, I pray, and I've prayed every time I've done this, that God would bless someone's life, that revelation would come, that it would be a ministry to your mind. You know what this allows you to do? There is, there is something I can do if I get this right. When I worship, I worship different. There's a different worship standing on the solid rock of who Jesus is. It allows you to worship. There's a different kind of prayer sitting on the solid rock of who Jesus is. The more I understand him, the more I walk with him, the more the words open to me. The easier it is for me to open my, my heart and my mouth and say, Lord, I love you. I worship you. I'm not confused of who you are. I'm not to pray to them or these or, or groups. I, I, I know you, and I'm so thankful for it. And I could never go back to anything different. I could never go back from this to something different. I remember visiting a church in college that had, uh, had a pulpit right there, had a pulpit over here, and the pulpit over there. And I didn't know why it had. Anybody been in churches with multiple pulpits? Ever seen them before? Lots of pulpits. And I didn't know what that was about. Three pulpits, and they, they explained that each pulpit had a different thing, a different role for the church. But, of course, everything came back to the Trinity, it all did, always does. You know, just like God is three, and we all agree, and we have the three pulpits, and we have the three of this, and some churches have three doors, three ornate wooden doors in front. If, you've, if you search in church history and church dogma, you'll find that incredibly listed and found throughout. And why is that so pervasive, so strong? The Catholic Church states to this day, and for, for at least 100 years have stated, we believe there'll be a great revival. All of our daughters, every denominational church that's left us, will come back to us. They believe that. And they can hold on to that because they believe the same trinity that the mother church believed. Amen. I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to speak to you, talk to you, that God would give you words to say to those that ask a question of you, the reason, the hope that's within you, with meekness and fear. Almighty God, Lord Jesus, I call on your name right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Come before you, surrender our lives to your hand. I am so blessed, Lord. I am so blessed to have this revelation in my life. I'm so thankful, Lord. I don't want to undervalue this, Lord, not realize what a privilege it is in my life. 
how kind you've been to me and my family, Lord. How this is a central, foundational part of our life to know, know the truth about who Jesus is. I pray, Lord Jesus, you bless the church people, Lord. Oh, let there be an edifying going on in the Spirit. Let there be a help, Lord. Let these scriptures that cannot be broken, this word, Lord, that will outlast heaven and earth, this word that will stand forever, let these scriptures get into their heart and mind and soul. Do a work in them and through them to family and friends on every conversation. Let your word flow through. Remind them. Speak to their mind the things you need to say in those situations. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. Now bless you all. Thank you for being with us. So glad to see you. We're going to have service Sunday, but next Wednesday will not have service. Next Wednesday will not because that weekend, Brother Raymond Woodward will be with us. So we will not see you next Wednesday. God bless you. Wonderful night.